And you're very welcome to wade in after Desert Crown romped home in the Derby at the weekend, backing up all that talent that we suspected he might just have. Just how good was he? Well, but that's what we're here to talk about over the next while. Plus all the other main action points from Epsom over the weekend and your listener questions answered as well in the company of, well, actually, we were hoping to persuade Steve Cawthon to join our panel this morning, but unfortunately he was otherwise engaged, brushing up on the forum ahead of Royal Ascot. We settled instead for Kevin Blake, for Tony Calvin and for Vanessa Royal. Hello, my darlings. How are we? Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I'm, I'm in really good form. Really what a good start form. to the show, Vanessa. What a start to the show. Yeah, I just had a talk to myself. I just had a talk to myself there, Hugh. If, if, uh, if Betfair Barry ever chose to put the 10 minute matter that we have before we press the record button and pay per view, we'd all be millionaires, I reckon. We'd all be sacked, but we'd all be millionaires. Yeah, that's going on the subscription model, Tony Calvin. 10 euros to find out what we were talking about before we press record. What do you reckon? Betfair Barry never moves jobs, otherwise he's bollocks, doesn't he? Absolutely. Vanessa, you're well. Very good life. Where are you this morning, Vanessa? You're not in your usual spot. Where are you? No, no, I'm in, in Dublin, in the Betfair offices. Oh, it's very excellent. swanky here. Very, mm. very swanky. It's yeah. a real upgrade from all the at-home life I've been living the last two years, where, you know, the dog is on me, she's covered me in hair, it's all <laughs> a disaster. This is a much slicker outfit right now. Yeah, I can't imagine too many there in a bank holiday, but tomorrow we're recording our Royal Ascot preview from there. That's why Vanessa's over. Tony Calvin is gracing us with his presence. And that'll be going out on all Betfair social media channels tomorrow night. But look, we'll remind you that later on. Let's get into the Derby, lads. Let's get into uh, the performance of the weekend. Huge amount of excitement about this horse, Kevin Blake, for a long, long time. And boy, did he deliver. I don't care, I don't care about the strength and depth of the field in behind him. This was a brilliant performance, and it was very, very exciting. Oh, yeah, no, I thought it was, it was a proper one now. Um, like, look, we, I think we're all impressed with what he did in the Dante, but I suppose the question mark surrounding him was whether he could show us all he, he was capable of, you know, after just two runs in a 17-runner derby, you know, the, the, mo- the most uh, ruthless test of completeness of a thoroughbred um, anywhere in the world. And um, sure, it was quite straightforward, wasn't it? Uh, like Richard Kingscott gave him a, like a nice safety first ride. He was probably caught a bit wider than he wanted to for, for the first half of the race, but found a slot and he kind of let him roll from the road cross in there. And like it, the race was over very, very quickly. Um, and if that was an auto 75 handicap, you, you'd be saying, Christ, there's a lad running, you know, two grades below where he should be. Like the race was over with, with well over a furlong to go. Um, and you meant you're right to mention it. Look, some of the main opposition to him did melt away a little bit behind him. And the third was certainly unlucky not to be a clear second, but um, all that, and Luxembourg wasn't there, but all that said now, um, I think and suspect the Desert Crown was and will go down as um, an above average Derby winner. And uh, I can't wait to see him next, be it over a mile and a half or a mile and a quarter or whoever they choose to point him. Yeah, just taking it on his merits, Tony. I mean, you just have to tip your hat and say this is a very good Derby performance. Yeah, there's two ways of looking at it, isn't it? I mean, <clears throat> you, totally, you totally accept the, the form angle in it. I mean, they'll have to give him a lot for the win. Uh, to, to get him up there as an above average derby winner. But then again, just look at the manner of the victory. He just screamed he's a lot, lot better horse than he was able to show there or the winning margin, you know, would, would suggest. So, yeah, I mean, just the manner in which he travelled. I mean, three, for, three, four furlongs out, you know, you, you're counting your winnings if you backed him, isn't he? Yeah, very, very impressive one. Yeah, he was. And, and Vanessa, I guess, look, we'll talk about Mr. Kingsgarden in a second and how impressive he was. 
I know Tony doesn't put too much store into jockeys itself, but I thought he was very interesting in his comments yesterday as well. But what did you make of, of Tezzer Crane? I mean, we're, I, I was very excited about what potentially he could do. Going into the race, were you, were you confident that you might see something a bit special or how did you feel? Uh, if I'm deadly honest, I wasn't confident pre a visit to a certain trainer in Newmarket midweek who then enlightened me to the piece of work he'd done midweek and the details of said work. And I came away and I rang my dad and I was like, just get on the favourite, get on the favourite. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's the work with Solid Stone. I, I didn't get the name of the lead horse, but there was details about the weight difference, the lengths he gave this horse, the ratings. And yeah, the phone calls definitely get on Desert Crown. And so I wasn't a believer. I genuinely wasn't. I thought he had a big task on his hands and I wasn't as blown away by him at York as a lot of people seem to be. But how wrong was I? I could not have been more impressed. And actually, I love the Derby. I'm a Derby lover anyway. And I just loved everything about this race. I loved the big field. I loved all the question marks going into it. Um, I, I have I to say, it. Vanessa, on that, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, this has brought my love of the Derby back a bit. I have to say, for the yeah. last three or four years, it had waned considerably. Um, not just, I guess, the manner of some of the victories, and I don't want to take anything away from Serpentine, obviously, because I know Emmett well, and I know, but, uh, you know, a couple of the winners of the last while, but this definitely brought it back oh. to me. Going into the race, the excitement as well, about three or four that were right up there, and then just because the winner was so bloody good, I have to say, it brought my love right back for it. Yeah, I, 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 I've always been lover of the race, but it needed a bit of sparkle. It needed something special. Mm. I think we can all agree with that. Over the last few years, it's maybe just at, lacked a real star quality winner. And for me, this horse, I mean, who knows what his future holds, but the performance felt like he'd seen something really special. And that's just what the derby needed. Um, it was interesting, again, talking to said trainer who saw... Uh, this horse desert crown at the yearling sales i said what was he like as a yearling and he said i remember i remember him walking out the box he was my standout yearling of the season yeah i remember the way he walked the way he stood the way he looks like he's the one the yearling i just can remember i can remember which box he was in where he was stabled and everything and they followed him into the ring to try and buy him they had 160k or something around that margin for him and they were blown out the water they, but intra, the angle there is that it's just interesting that they thought they might be able to steal him because so people are so hot and cold and marmitey about Nathaniel and so they followed him in but anyway he wasn't missed that he was bought by who he ended up being bought by and the rest is history but he was obviously uh, my point is, is he was obviously a standout yearling and now he's become a derby winner and mm. I just love that sort of from a breeding yeah. point of view I love that yeah, that's classic, that's classic bloodstock after time of Vanessa, isn't it? Every champion always has about 15 underbidders. <laughs> yeah. well, that, oh, that yeah, is geez, true. I love them. Tried hard to buy him, just yeah, came up that short. Is, that is Multiplied true. Multiplied by that 10. <laughs> but just on the star quality, Kev, we spoke last year. I even remember last year going into the Derby. So I remember kind of going, yeah, you know, has the race lost a lot of its appeal? And that mile and a half division on the flat now, I mean, is it, where's the breeding game at? It seems to be all about the guineas and the faster horses and certainly the mile, the mile quarter division. I think this may reignite it. I, look, it's, it's, it's difficult to say now, but certainly there's a lot of excitement about this horse and what he did. And I think that can only be good for the mile and a half division. No, I think it's turning anyway, Hugh. Like some is people it? say, I'm, I'm, some people disagree um, strongly with me. Like, but I, I study these things to, to like, Jesus, far, far too much probably. But um, like, I, I think the wheel is turning a little bit. 
um, in that like the, the resale market for, for tried horses over 10 furlongs, 12 furlongs, like they're absolutely, they've never, ever been stronger. Really? And I think like, look in the world, the wheels can be slow to turn and trends can be slow to, to reverse. But like, I think there's lots and lots of sharp guys that are identifying this and are much keener to buy yearlings that will stay 10 furlongs as a three-year-old. And um, because you can like, like, even if one only gets to a market 80, like there's a huge market there for them. If you get to a hundred, like you're getting a lot of money. And if you can get to 110, like my God, you're going to get really, really well paid. Um, and I think people are identifying this and, and leaning into it. I'm doing a little bit of it here in what I'm doing here on the farm. Um, and I think, you know, looking further down the line, it's only going to come back more and more. And you mentioned the Derby and maybe that the last 10 years hasn't been a brilliant decade for it. But like, I really do think that the next 10 years, that like, could be the most exciting decade for the Derby in a long time. Right. Um, be- because, you know, unfortunately, Galileo is no longer with us uh, and Galileo, best sire we'll ever see. But he almost was a victim of his own success at times in terms of the spectacle. Um, and you're, we're, we're moving forward now where the whole middle distance scene is probably going to be more competitive. You've got Cedar Stars and Frankel there who are, you know, I suppose a little bit more neutral in terms of where they're standing. You know, there'll be plenty of them going to the sales ring. I think it's going to get really competitive at the Ireland sales and we're going to have a lot more derbies like this. But I would call it like a true derby, like 17 runners, you know, whatever it was, five to two to field. Um, and you really you don't know until you know you know there's loads and loads of chances and you get to find out on the you know one of the greatest stages anywhere in the racing world so I'd be I'd be quite positive about the, the middle distance scene going forward. Tony, um, I, look, I mentioned Richard Kingscott obviously and you know we took a um, a lot of praise um, but during the I guess the build up last week to the Derby he, he was very quiet he says by his own nature he's he's a quiet person he's quite uh, a reserved person which maybe Michael Stout. Um, likes about him the fact that he just does his own thing he doesn't seem to annoy anyone unless he really has to by his own admission as well uh, I know you don't put a huge amount of story in, in, in jockeys here but I have to say I, for him I thought it was great and I thought afterwards he conducted himself very well No from what I've said well, I don't know him I don't think I've ever met him but you, you do like the cut of his jib didn't you I like these mm. individual people who are quite laid back don't get carried away you know and you know I like I say you know, I don't think any jockey would have lost on that horse, to be perfectly honest with you, but you don't know. I mean, obviously, it's a pressurised environment. Uh, but I think I think what you allude to about, you know, the this derby resonating with you, I think it's got everything to do with Sir Michael Stout. Now, it's, it's an extraordinary loving that he's had over the last couple of weeks. Now, I'm not saying it's not justified because everything that man's gone through in the last couple of years, health, losing his partner, etc., has really built up a... I'm going to use the word I'm going to kill myself afterwards. It's built up a narrative going into Yes! And um, <laughs> yeah, I'm on a marketing job, Rod Street. I, I said, okay. uh, now, um, no, like I say, it's, and I, I think, you know, Stout actually just made that derby. I mean, he's obviously, I mean, two or three years ago, every, well, going back decades, every single journalist who had to ring Sir Michael Stout just for bollocks to this, because you know you ain't going to get nothing. You got no, you get nothing out of him, and mm-hmm. I, I know that's what he likes in Kingscote. Very understated, you know. Nothing that Kingscote or Stout is going to stay in the lead up to that race is is really going to change your opinion of that horse. We've all got eyes, we've all got ears. Uh, yeah, so I, if it's a low key approach to the race, then that's fine. But I mean, like it's, we, we touched upon it last week and in previous weeks. You know, these old school trainers or you know, an established trainers. 
are just coming out of their shells this, this season. And it's, and it's, you Great. know, that's Maeve. And, it, and it don't, I, I don't know what the sea change is, but like I said, with Stout, perhaps it's, you know, you know, the loss of the partner, you know, you know, ill health, old age, whatever. It's, um, you know, Stout just made the derby. If it was trained by somebody else, yeah. I don't you'd have that loving uh, with, with this year's renewal. So, it's so funny. Like, I'd be, I'm the opposite of that view. I mean, this is what I love about this game, but I'm literally the opposite of that view. I can appreciate Sir Michael Stout for what he is, a brilliant trainer and a bit of a legend when it comes to these sort of derby types. I, I get it. Like, I, I love a bit of racing history, like more than most people, I think I'd say. But I, I don't get the Stout factor. Just popping it out there. I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I haven't, I haven't, I, I don't get the sort of the charm and charisma we're told that he has. And I, 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 don't, I just don't get it. It's not for me. I don't think he added, for me, it wasn't about him at all in the derby. I think it didn't, that wasn't part of the story at all. And obviously I'm from a completely different generation to Tony. So it's just probably, I don't know, dare I say it is a generational thing. I don't know, but maybe it's just the difference of opinion there. But for me, it's like, I don't really get him and his angle at all. The way he what's is, your, I mean. Have you interviewed Richard Kingscott then? I mean, that's interesting. Yeah, I have, one. yeah. And what's, I mean, have you, how have you found him? Yeah, he. I, I really enjoy Richard. I think he's um, a very straight guy. He's quite a different a different sort of thinker. I actually had, a, the, uh, I think it was the first interview I ever did with him was, you know, just straight off the bat of a 0-60 or whatever at Wolverhampton it was. And I interviewed him. And then the natural thing to do is, of course, ask him about his upcoming rides. Now, luckily, it was recorded because I asked, I said, what else, what else of your other rides later? What have you got? You've got a full book of rides. What do you fancy? That were like, what's your strongest chance later? Mm-hmm. It's like a straight up bog standard question. And he looked at me and he's like, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I can't think what. I mean, he just said what he'd obviously just he hadn't, yeah. you know, he didn't. You can't, you can't really, run basically. the half. Yeah, completely. But he was so straight with me. And that's what yeah. I loved. He was just so yeah. straight. And I was like, oh, Jesus, don't worry about it. This is recorded. Like, don't worry. Just we'll just cut the interview there. It's fine. Uh, but I loved how straight he was. He didn't try, you know, so often you do that with a jockey and they try and fudge the answer. And you could tell they don't really know what they're riding or what the best mm. chance is. Whereas he was just straight down the line. And that, that I think for me is the overriding thing with Richard is he's never going to get too big for his boots. He's just a very straight down the line kind of guy. Yeah. And you can't help but appreciate that Kevin where, where did LeBake finish in the derby do you know <laughs> LeBake I can only presume I, mean, I can only presume LeBake was in the race because of the fucking fireworks they had at the start <laughs> to try and get the horses going what was the story with these lunatics thinking fireworks was a reasonable thing to do before a bloody derby that that's like I'm laughing because it's so <laughs> Incredible, like, because you, I, Hugh, I, I have an unnatural hatred for fireworks. Like, I really like strongly, strongly. You and all get, the animals in the world, by the way. Yeah, like, I, I, I get, I get deeply angry every Halloween time. Thankfully, that's the only time around here that we tend to get them. Like, to the point of, I, I get a bit irrational about it. Like, I, I hate them. I hate what it does to animals, yeah. um, of all sorts. And for someone. Like, look, stop. The, the, the world's full of stupid people. For someone to propose this and say, yeah, well, what if we put some fireworks in? It'd be nice for the, the Platinum Jubilee or whatever. Like, that's not, I'm not upset about that. People have bad ideas all the time. But for someone to clearly say, you know what? Jeez, that's a good idea. Let's spend money on that. Let's do that. 
I'll do what we won't tell anyone. It'll be a lovely surprise, won't it? Yeah, that's oh, brilliant. Jesus that's Christ. brilliant. Let's go have a latte or something. I, like, they are very the, lucky, Kevin, that this didn't backfire so badly on them. But well, like you, you, have um, who was it? Um, one of the jocks said he, he felt it. It, it certainly hurt. And um, Kirby, yeah, because like, mm. like. Like as the crow flies, like the stands from the from the start at Epsom, like must only be kind of half a mile, you know. And you can see it in the background. Like I, like I looked, I was watching and working, and my head shot up. I thought like this is gunfire or something. Yeah. Like I go, Jesus Christ, what fireworks and the smoke billowing across the track? It's a horse race, lads. Unbelievable. Like I, I honestly. And look, I know I loads, also, loads of people have had their say. I haven't had anyone, I haven't heard anyone say, geez, Alec, go, go easy on them, lads. That was a, a reasonable thing to do. So there's probably no need for us to all to lash into them. I think everyone acknowledges it was a really think, stupid thing well, to do, well, but my say, God. What well, I would say is the unapologetic nature of the comment. Oh, that was a shocker, was that was You know, Chester got a bigger kick in for, for not giving the refund straight away than, than Epsom did for that gross act of stupidity. I mean, and is, look, isn't it sad that in this day and age, no one seems capable of just going, hey, lads, look, Jesus, on reflection, that was a terrible decision. We're sorry. Yeah. Won't happen again. Like, that was stupid. Apologies. They have, the, you know, a big spiel about, oh, this is the greatest race in the world and we want to, you know, do, do the best to make it the best occasion we can. Like, lads, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. Put your hands up. You're, you got it wrong and you're lucky it wasn't way worse. Put your hands up. Be accountable, move on. You know, we'll all forget about it soon enough, but Jesus, that's accountability. Yeah, I mean, tell even, me. even like the, the reaction from people that are good, you know, plenty of people I know that were there, and literally everyone said it felt like you were in the middle of a terrorist attack for just a second there because there was no, there was literally no preamble to like, there was no announcement that that was going to happen or like no warning or anything. So all of a sudden, everyone jumps out of their skin. Then there's this bizarre firework display that, you know, fireworks generally were created so that they can be seen at night and it's broad daylight. So really, it's just just some sort oh of colours in the sky. You couldn't make this up. Like, and then it goes the just in general on fireworks. What kind of a simple mind over the age of 12 enjoys fireworks? I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But do a, do a nice drone show if you want some lights. You know, well, that doesn't frighten anything. And they're actually quite nice on the eye. Fireworks, that's come on. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Basically, all in all, it's just a mad decision, but we're going to have to move on from it. Yeah. Because I tell you, it brings me back to one time, the, the Irish Derby, maybe about 15 years ago. Yeah, look, Irish people, for whatever reason, I don't think we do pomp and ceremony very well. <laughs> they, they decided they wanted to do the presentation for the Irish Derby out on the track in front of the stands. And uh, oh, Jim, yeah. Bul- Jim Bulger won it. It might have been Trading Letter or one of those. And they had this, they, they, they brought out this um, stage out on the track to do the presentation. And it, it wasn't the smoothest thing you've ever seen in your life. And the press had to walk out and follow this to try and talk to the people afterwards. And they tried to do a rinky dink fireworks show. And they almost <laughs> blew up, they almost blew up Jackie Bulger. She was walking, ac- <laughs> she was walking across the front of it as the thing went off. And it went off like half a yard away from her. And it, like, it was terrifying. <laughs> and she poor, the poor woman was like, Oh, my God. <laughs> she got the Jesus fright of her life. <laughs> right. Um, t- TC, in terms of betting shape now, um, I know after the Oaks, which we'll come on to in a second, Emily Upjohn was um, temporarily favoured for the arc on the basis of losing to Tuesday, given that what happened to her. But yesterday, the bookies were pretty quick to react here. 
and Desert Crown, I think three to one five now um, for the arc. The arc picture, by the way, if they all go, and I know it's a big if, and all ways these are asterisks and everything like that, buyer beware. But, you know, if they all do go to post, and I throw by Eden into the mix with that, and if Luxembourg comes back to fitness and we throw in Desert Crown and Emily Upchop, Jesus, we could have some crack in arc, lads. I think I'm going to go over to Paris this October and go and watch for the first time ever in person. If they all Can, we get, Can we get Le Bake over as well? Throw the fireworks in and Le Bake, a few sparklers, <laughs> and Sir Bob's your uncle. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard they're going to supplement Moon over Germany as well. <laughs> um, oh, would you let it go? Would you let that no, yeah. go? Um, no, well, one the, mistake in two well, years arguably, of podcasting. Arguably, the match of the weekend wasn't, you know, wasn't in the Oak, wasn't in the Derby. It was, might have been in the French Derby for Dini. Um, we, we, we said you can question, you know, the, the yeah. substance of the, the Derby form, but, uh, you know, the, the, the Chantilly form is... Yeah, it was like I said. I watched. I watched that, and I was just totally taken by it. And you know, it had, it had, you know, it had the substance that the Epsom form is, is lacking as well, possibly. Um, you know, one by five lengths for Dini beat a, a Group One winner, albeit uh, a juvenile one that blew out in the Dante. Uh, the right horses were in third and fourth. Al Kahim, um, you know, shaped really promisingly in fourth. I just was, was massive, and obviously, it's it's probably well. Kevs will probably touch upon it as well. It's it's probably massive for, for Churchill, the sire as well. Whether or not Churchill's going to be siring a, an art winner, that might be a bit of a stretch, but there is a bit of a is a bit of stamina on the damn side there. Yeah, I think the performance of the weekend and probably the, the prices don't reflect that uh, as, as regards the arc is, is Vidini. Okay, right. Well, staying with betting for a second, TC, put your betting hat on for, for a minute. Um, I know you're ready to take it off. But in this case, is it acceptable from a punting point of view that on racing TV the biggest race of the flat season was on split screen to accommodate a race in, was it the Stone or wherever the hell it was? Because the Derby went off eight minutes later than um, scheduled. Is it acceptable that a racing TV, a racing channel has split screen to accommodate another race because of punters who may have backed a race in the Stone who wanted to see it and through no fault of their own, the Derby went off late at Epsom? Or because this is the main race of the season and everybody wants to see it, leave it on full screen, maybe record and the stole race and play it in afterwards. It's still the same effect. You're still getting to see it. You might get your money live as such. What's your view on this? Uh, first thing is how many people did it really affect? I mean, when you've got a diet of wall-to-wall racing and racing TV, I think I'm, I'm probably not alone in just switching over to ITV, getting all the build-up. I don't want to watch Listow, Tremor, whatever. Nothing against them, but I just don't want to watch it. So how many people coming out yet? Probably one. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, it's it's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I obviously you've got the protesters delaying it, so you know that's an unforeseen circumstance. What were they protesting? Well. I saw it mentioned, but I didn't see any. They details. were they were they laid themselves across the track. Fireworks. They had to drag them off before the derby. <laughs> what were they actually protesting though? Hey. Do we know what they're actually protesting? Like, would it climate, climate change? change climate or, change. Was it climate, climate change? change. Yeah, climate they're, change. they're protesting at the uh, the fireworks taking away their thunder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nightmare for the protesters. Yeah. Terrible result. <laughs> they won't be blaming us for that. We're not that. Um, no, like I said, it's absolutely preposterous, isn't it? That you know you, uh, that that happens. I mean, there must have been some forward planning there. There, there must have been. They just say, look, if this happens. You know, what are we going to do? And I know they're contractually obliged to show all races, but who's gonna who's gonna kick up a fuss if they just don't show that race live? It's it like I say it's 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 a bad look. And 
I know trying to get involved, you know, trying to get everyone linked up between even in the UK, let alone UK and Ireland. It's just, it was just, it's just, yeah. It was a bit of an embarrassment, wasn't it? But yeah, I, I, I think Pat Healy came out from um, the stall today and basically said, yeah, look, they had no communications asking them to delay or that. Um, and, you know, look, it was, I suppose, a relatively short notice thing. Like no one could have foreseen that Derby would have been so delayed. But, mm. you know, from a few minutes before, when it was clear they were going to be delayed, you know, there was even people tweeting like, oh, oh God, here we go. This is good. You know, this, this is going to happen. Like you, you've got a few minutes notice. But um, like TC says, like even the biggest list all ahead in the country surely isn't going to rear up if, you know, they're on tape delay for three or four minutes or what have you. And she looked, the rights are being negoti- renegotiated at the minute. Maybe there, maybe there needs to be kind of a group one clause stuck into the rights to say, hey, lads, look, if, if you're going to clash with a group run race, you're going to get put behind, you're going to be uh, recorded on tape and shown a few minutes late. You know, and I don't think anyone reasonable is going to complain about that. And if that clause is in there, you can, you can be sure that there will be a little bit more attention paid to scheduling to maybe give a bit more space around races like the Derby, which you would think no brainer. Like, why wouldn't you do that anyway? Um, but, you know, there we go. It was, it was, it was, um, I'm sure it drove everyone in racing TV nuts um, as well as everyone else. But um, we, yeah, it's pretty, pretty unfortunate yeah, I, because it was avoidable. I spoke to our senior producer who sits in the hot seat of Sky Sports Racing on the biggest days about this. And he basically cleared it with me that as predicted, as most people know, obviously they're absolutely contractually blanket you know they contractually they have to show the live racing domestic racing live and so there is no option to take it off the split screen like it's that apparently is absolutely like well this is what he said would be the case with us anyway that's absolutely set in stone and so I was asking him um you know so you would have had to have split screened and the answer was yes and then he was saying, because I said, I'm sure there's been a case where I've been at a very small fry jumps track and a big group one at Ascot's jumps. And he said, yeah, if it was a, if it's a longer race, we would not show the start of obviously, let's say, a jumps race. And we'd show the group one or the big race. And then we cut over across to Hexham for the finish of. But obviously they were really unfortunate with the fact that it was a mile race, wasn't it? So mm. it was an absolute direct clash. And he said, like, it's not any producer's fault they would have 100 have to have split screened it's different obviously if it's foreign racing but if it's english or irish domestic racing you just absolutely don't have a choice but to split screen and then of course he did bring in the angle that it you know the irish rights being up for renewal this year you know you don't want to do anything to upset anyone in ireland and he did say you know there will have been people out there watching who wanted to see you know who are paying customers of racing tv and they want to see the listola race live you know there will have been people out there who are we to take that away from them and you know if that was just the point made by somebody who i mean i obviously can't speak for racing tv i work for the sky but um it was just interesting getting that angle from our perspective about how that would have worked um but that yeah well, that was the line from him yeah you, you do it with hong kong and stuff like that I've, I've seen you you know do that for you know for the french racing in hong kong it's it's just just one phone call the day before just look eight minutes late we, we've all seen royal ascot races go off 10 plus minutes late one phone call beforehand just saying, look, if the worst happens, have we got permission? And I'm pretty sure, as, as Kevin said, I'm pretty sure all the Irish tracks would have just said, yeah, just, just this okay. once, that's fine. 
Like Tremor set up their day, their whole schedule of their card to suit the derby. Like they, they, like their own burn, the manager there like has that in the, the the RP at the minute. Like they like they tailored their whole day's racing to accommodate the derby, and yet mm. they, they yeah. they're show they're showing the race on track uh, on their big screen, and it comes up as a split screen, and they're kind of going, Jesus, that's you yeah. know, we we we've I bent mean, over backwards to accommodate this, and then that happens. That's the obvious um, thing, isn't it? That if if you're on, I mean, going forward, the obvious yeah. thing, what's been discussed, is to have the sort of 15 minutes before the derby, 15 minutes after the derby, completely no other races in England and Ireland around the derby so that you can give the derby the full attention, which for one race of the year for the Epsom derby feels like a sensible decision. And then, of course, you refer to the people who are on tracks elsewhere. But ultimately, mm. if I was on a track elsewhere, as Kevin's just said there, and you have blacked out, you know, you blacked out those uh, each side of the derby by 15 10 15 minutes yeah. you know you go you go into the bar you buy yourself an extra drink and you'd watch on the screen that probably make the whole day a very enjoyable one of mm-hmm. other tracks as well i mean it just okay. seems to make sense but how often is common sense not common do, do, do we know how many weeks uh, william buick has been suspended for for headbutting that horse at the opener on saturday that was disgraceful <laughs> animal cruelty i mean he Jesus. should be thrown out of the game oh, that, was, that was that was that was bad wasn't it if he can take that and still come back fighting <laughs> later in the day tell you as, as a fan of what, once, once upon a time a six month old foal put my nose in a different county to the rest of my face with a headbutt absolutely destroyed it and that was a, that was a young foal um, like it, it, people would say oh, I caught him in the helmet etc like but the, the horses heads are heavy and they're nothing but bone and they're they've got an extremely strong neck swing in it like, and you know, uh, you would know, Hugh, you watch a lot of combat sports, you know, by the reaction to, by of him, like he was, he was mm. out of it. Like he was oh. out of it. And it was just so lucky. Like imagine his, his, his foot had kind of dropped in the iron oh, and, he, and, and oh. they opened the saws and he gets God. dragged. Like Very that's, lucky. that, that's like as horrific a prospect as it gets, you know, so the all involved were really fortunate that it wasn't way worse. Um, and look, I don't want to go pointing fingers and blaming and saying this and that. It was clearly no one wants something like that to happen. And I think the noise was an issue in terms of the starter getting the communications he needed to tell him to hold hold the show. Um, and it all happened quite quickly. But by God, talk about terrifying. Uh, and Willem's a lad that's had a few issues with, with concussions and head injuries in the past. Like so, uh, right. terrifying. Was and, and thankfully he's okay. All right, guys. Um, Emily Upjohn, I, I mentioned her briefly there. Um, I, I did see a sway of opinion that suggested that there was too much attention being focused on the runner-up and not the winner to give Tuesday and Aidan O'Brien and Connections their credit for winning the Oaks on Friday. Personally, and I know Aidan O'Brien broke the record and for him, fantastic achievement. Personally speaking, I, I can absolutely justify and see why there was so much made of Emily Upjohn, given the start, given what happened to her almost knuckling out of the stalls and the way she finished. She still, to me, remains the best horse in the race by a country mile. So I understand the narrative. And um, do any of you feel that it's unfair on Tuesday and Aidan O'Brien and Brian Moore for, for what they achieved? Um, I, 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 I wouldn't be so. I wouldn't have been so big on Emily Upjohn being notably unlucky. Um, ah, to be come honest. on, I, Kevin. I, she was. Yeah, look, Tuesday was was slow away as well. You know, from stall one. You know, after a furlong, they're basically upsides each other. You know, Emily Upjohn, like looking at the overhead shots that ITV had, like it looked very much like Emily Upjohn was in front, kind of two furlongs out. And um, 
Like, look, it was, it was it was hammer and tongs all the way up to the line. And Emily Upjohn certainly looked like she was coming back. But for me, Tuesday was quite lonely out in the middle until Ryan brought her across. And I, I think they're just two very good fillies, Hugh, because this this was a, re, a notably steadily run Oaks. Like, this was one of the fastest, you know, final three furlong sectionals, like, in, in, Epsom, in recent Epsom Classic history. Like, they have absolutely bombed home because they've gone so steady. And the two that have dominated the finish have come from a long way back. Like, I think these are two proper fillies. I'd love to see a rematch ASAP. Um, don't Where know would we we'll see get... that? Um, well, sure. It could be like the Irish Oaks is a little while away. So the Yorkshire Oaks. Um, like if, if, I don't know, if they wanted to drop them back to 10 furlongs, the Pretty Polly. I don't know. We mightn't get to see it. I really hope we do because I think that these are two proper fillies. Throw um, the third in as well. Yeah, yeah the, like the third came from back there as well. Um, mm. Might be a little bit better back at 10, maybe. But yeah, I, I think the two in particular That's now right. are just proper fillies and I wouldn't like to take away. Look, Emily Upjohn, clearly things didn't go right. And I'd say if Frankie had his time again, yeah. like he, you, you can understand exactly why he did it, but like he actually made up his ground after missing the start probably faster than ideal. And he probably made his headway early in the straight faster than ideal. Like it, it probably seems like a perverse thing to some people to say that with, with a filly that was coming back at the line, that he should have waited longer, but I think he probably should have waited longer. To be honest, I think if he was, if he didn't, I think it was probably an element of panic to the ride um, after what happened at the start. And um, yeah, I, I think she was a little bit better. Based I'll take on the, that. I'll take the complete opposite view. Um, I thought it was a bang average ride. You can obviously take away the, the stuff at the start. I think he takes a bit of a pull to out. I think I think he really should have kicked on at that point. Uh, yeah, I, I think he took a pull because I think he realised himself that he was getting there too soon. Well, well, yeah, obviously, you know, I, th- I think it could have been smoother. Very well, didn't I? I, I, if I would, if I back Emmy up, John, obviously the start, take that out of the equation, stuff like that. Mm. I want him, I want him to try and put that race to bed two out when he was, when he was clearly going best. Well, on the near side, anyway. No, I, I would feel a bit of aggrieved by the Tatori ride, and I think he's got away a bit lightly. Mm. Interesting, interesting. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I know. I was just going to say for me, just watching at home, I mean, not that you, you know, you want the best horse in the race to win at any level, but specifically group one and then more so than ever in a classic because they don't get another go at it. And the classics is what shapes the breed. And so you want the best horse in the race to win. And so obviously when something goes wrong, like the start did for Emily Upjohn, there's this lingering feeling for many people that we didn't see the best horse winning the race. But from a viewing point of view, it did make the race incredibly exciting, very dramatic and loads to take away from it. Um, But I'd be, I thought, you know, I'm with Kevin on this one. I think I'd side with him in terms of, Emily Upjohn definitely got, for me, ahead of Tuesday in the, in the straight and then couldn't go through with it. And Tuesday dug so deep and she's, you know, dwarfed by the big mare <laughs> upside her. And she didn't get a perfect break either. I think people aren't really giving her the credit she deserves. I think people really wanted and were rooting for Emily Upjohn so there's a sort of sway towards her to think that she was the best horse in the race. But, 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 ultimately- but, I'm, but if you take TC's model then as well, Vanessa, which I'm, I'm inclined to agree with Tony on this one, if Frankie had left Emily Upjohn go, we just don't know if she would have put the race no. to bed, if that momentum would have taken her home. I'm of the view that it probably would have. I think it would well, have been easier for Tuesday to run her down if she had a target in front of her, yeah. to be honest. 
I, I, I thought mean, Tuesday looked very lonely out in the middle of the track there. And, and Ryan has deliberately brought her across looking for a bit of company, I think. Yeah, she was definitely benefited from getting upsides, Emily Upjohn, I felt. Mm, and, you know, that was when she started to dig deeper. And then just from the breeding point of view, some people can call it boring all you like, but I just love the angle. When you look at the breeding page of Tuesday and Lily Langtree being the dam and then all the siblings and deeper into the pedigree you know that is what that is what the the breed is all about that is it's racing perfection on a pedigree page and that's taken years and years and hours and hours of uh, like you know brains and hard graft to get to that point and producing a horse like that and then going and basically fulfilling what its destiny what it was on put on the ground to do is to win an oaks and it goes and does it i just that angle i just i love that and, and, and a tuned third fold, Vanessa. I know like, that like, obviously. Like you know, for, that for people that aren't, ideal. like for people that aren't in 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 that side, like there would be a stigma attached to May folds, like never mind June folds. Like well, June, and, you just don't Ken, see it. And you know as well as I do that. Again, for anybody listening, who doesn't you know hasn't doesn't work with mares. Like there'd be a question mark whether you go back to the stallion to put the mare in foal if you know that its due date is going to be at the towards the back end of May and definitely into June. Lots of breeders would say, oh, we'll skip a year with her and we'll get her back on an early cycle for next year so that she yeah. starts having them early again. But yeah, obviously because, they, because they feel that when, if you bring it, like if, if look, in, in, in Tuesday's situation, she was never going to be offered at the sale, so they're willing to take that chance. But like if you're selling... Um, the offspring of your mares like if you bring one up that's a May foal like if they're in if they're in any way small looking like people will just knock them and they'll, they'll, they'll have doubts about them will they be big enough you know that you clearly are young but will they be big enough like it's, all, it's always negatives negatives and like I, you know, I could bring you out in the field here and show you you know a, a, a foal that was born in mid-January and a foal that was born two weeks ago like you know that that's the kind of the, the size difference is absolutely you know mm. unbelievable and that's kind of the the head start you're giving up um so for her to do it you know on her third birthday winning oaks and i, I have to mention the third as well nashua she made a ninth fall yeah um you know it's it, it's fair right. going now okay and um, vanessa on our whatsapp group on friday um just as racing kicked off coverage uh, on ITV, I think you said something like either Steve Cawthon's notes have blown away in the wind or he hasn't brought any. <laughs> and I said to you, yeah, I think Ed Chamberlain is going to earn his crust this afternoon. <laughs> I mean, credit to Ed and Jason. You know, like, I think we can all just be honest here. That that was an experiment that didn't quite work, was it? I mean, I'm not it's, I'm not slagging anyone saying it. Like, oh, we all no. can see I don't it. think Steve listens to our it. podcast anyway. So um, it was safe enough. No, it was safe enough. Look, like, I was, you know, it's great to have it, the input from the past. And obviously, he's got very interesting things to say in a certain sense. But to have him there as a pundit throughout the whole show and however many live races, I think if he is going to be around for Royal Ascot, I would suggest that, that the bosses at ITV racing and sitting down thinking how they can use him to better effect shall we say because definitely at one point i was concerned he didn't even have a fecking race card let alone a note i, I tell you uh, one time one time i turned up to do a rugby match one time beside, beside a, a, a really famous well-known brilliant former international on a massive game right in the six nations and he sits down beside me and i go well how's things i'm not going to name him and the first thing he says to me well, have you got any team sheets? <laughs> this is going to be a long afternoon for me. I mean, 
But yeah. at, least you, at least you and Donald have got a rapport now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Donald definitely doesn't listen to this. I mean, to that. be fair, the one thing the one thing I would say is, you know, I I do think people from the past like that have real value um, in terms of broadcasting and interest, but you have to use them in a very specific way. And that yeah. straight up punditry role just didn't really work for Steve. But he does have interesting things to say. But hmm. to just like put a final full stop on the issue. For me personally, and I might be a bit biased because obviously he's also on our Sky Sports Racing team, but I thought both days it just showcased that, like Jason Weaver, I promise you, it's subtle, but he's different gear as a broadcaster and a pundit for me. Just the way in which you can smoothly pick up what is a falling ship uh drowning ship and he just sort of gets it back on an even keel and the way he is honestly i thought that weekend mm. really showed his talents to best effect because without him that would have been very hard work yes okay hookham tc well done and uh, racing only better on friday for those who missed it thursday i should say for those who missed it and um, you must have been happy did it very nicely tony yeah um obviously probably a career best i mean i the Cumber Lodge victory last year, I thought, was very impressive. And whether or not a few underperformed, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see where he goes now. Well, um, he's not going I, I, anywhere because he's you, yeah, broken there, his hot, yeah. his fractured his hawk on the way home. Yeah, there was just just news there. Just yeah, come out. it. it um, he when they got him back to the yard, it was clear that he was lame, and it turns out oh. he, he's had a quite a bad fracture, I think, somewhere, and they've had to throw a few screws in and. Um, they said they might get him back to the track, but in the circumstances, he's probably more likely to to retire to stud, um, which is horrendous because that, like you say, TC, that was a, a career best, and he, and he's been a smashing horse, and it was a big one for Owen Burrows. Um, what a game this is! As he said himself, he kind of floated the whole way home, and then he arrives home and to this Jesus. scene, and that's tough it, stuff. It was a it was a particularly big win for Owen Burrows, obviously, because he's obviously lost a lot of. A lot of his stable firepower, and but he's always had a you know brilliant strike rate, and always comes across very well. You know, Royal Ascot winners in recent years, so yeah, that'd be a devastating blow for him. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of other uh, revol- results of note before we move on to our listener questions. Uh, Legend of Xanadu, I think uh, eight to one uh, for the Chesham and Royal Ascot, but uh, he kicked off things. William Buick had, had a great start on on Friday, quick fire double Legend of Xanadu, and who was the second? Uh, I can't remember anyway. But yeah, no, I mean yeah. William Buick obviously on fire early on. Totally charming. Totally charming. That's the and he uh, yeah. had a winner on Saturday as well, didn't he? After getting yeah. bashed up. Yeah, I did lucky. I did lucky fifteen on Friday, TC, and I didn't have so much as a bloody place. I should mention that Legend of Xanadu. Um, I wouldn't massively yeah. play that. They had a good win under a penalty and. Pinatubo won that race before winning the Cheshire, I think. So, mm. yeah, I mean, obviously he doesn't have this sexy once-race profile that other horses are going to go into that race. But, yeah, I, I thought that was a good performance. And yeah, everyone absolutely. spoke about the second, wasn't it? Self-praise rattling home, and there was a lot of focus on him. But I was at Doncaster when that horse made his debut. Everyone said he was really unlucky at Epsom because obviously visually that's, you know, he really caught, how could he not catch the eye? I get it. But he's got history with this. He did it on debut. Uh, you know, he flies home and looks a real eye catcher. He did that at Doncaster. And then he's done it again here. So I wouldn't put it past him that he's just slightly in a bit of a, you know, that just needs to be trained out of him essentially. It's, it wasn't just a complete one-off is what I'm saying. 
Yeah, and I think they went very hard mid-race as well and made it a bit easier to come from off the pace. Um, and with that in mind, I wouldn't forget about the third, um, Commander Straker. Um, I'd say he'll definitely drop back to five next time. And I'm not going to say he's going to win the Windsor Castle or anything like that, but I'd say he'd be one to, to have on your side over five next time, maybe. He had a wide draw there as well, didn't he? So, yeah. Mm. yeah. It was a yeah. good effort. Um, some of the listener questions, we've, we've, we've kind of dealt with a lot in the, in the main topic. So for Jason Jackson, Andy Patey, Ben, Adrian Dower, uh, Glenn Sargent as well, and Trevor Stafford, most of them to do with the fireworks as well. And Ben Sprazel, on a scale of one to Boris Johnson, just as stupid was the fireworks. Well, Ben, Boris Johnson, that scale of one to Boris Johnson might be over tonight. We'll yeah, see how it gets on tonight, yeah. Tory MPs on the vote of confidence. I mean, if he's still there after tonight, Christ almighty. That, of course he will. I tell you, if, if, there was a nu- if there was nuclear war yeah. on planet Earth, and all life was pretty much wiped out. You know, Boris Johnson's going to be the last thing to survive, isn't he? He'll, he'll yeah. hang around under a rock there somewhere and he'll, he'll uh, live and he'll live in a rule because he was born to rule you. Born to He's rule. 10 to 1 on still to be there for Christ's sake. Come on, Tory, <laughs> MPs. Do, Tory MPs. Do one decent thing in your entire privileged, pampered lives and just vote them. They're out. I mean, this is an Irish lab with no vested interest. Um, George McDonough says interesting viewpoint by Derby winning rider Richard King's got that. He believes the banning of saunas is having a detrimental effect on jockeys and their weight management. Um, any insight into this, any of you? Yeah, this point was made at the time. And I suppose for the likes of us now kind of looking in at this situation, it seems logical to want there to be, to think that having no saunas is a good thing. Um, but but I, I suppose you, in a situation like this, you have to really listen to the guys on the ground in there. And look, look some the jockeys don't always get it right. They all reared up when um, when they wanted to confine them to one meeting a day, um, you know. And I think that's been really positive, you know. And maybe this will be positive in the fullest of time when they adjust their lifestyles and the way they manage their weight. Um, but look, you, you have to listen. You have to listen. Um, but uh, you know, I think they, they've raised the weights at least in the UK and Ireland now, which I know moves the problem. It doesn't solve the problem, but it, I think regardless of what we ever do, it's always going to be a weight restricted sport. Weight cutting and, and, and weight shedding is always going to be um, a feature of it. I suppose it just becomes, as Richard was saying, it's a case of moving the problem rather than solving it. And are you moving it in a, in a healthy way? That's a, probably a discussion that, that can still be had. It, yeah. it brought up some. It brought some good points. It does have some punting ramifications as well, and it was it was evidenced on uh, the weekend as well. I mean, I got a text um, an hour before the race saying Dalton Cross is going to carry two pounds over eight, eight stone five, and I yeah. just said, "What are you talking about?" You know, Sylvester D'Souza's ridden at eight one. I didn't even consider that he would put put up any overweight there. Um, so obviously, I was tweeting around trying to find out was trying to get information about overweight should be much more readily available. In some jurisdictions, you're just not allowed to carry overweight, are you? They just won't, they just won't even countenance it. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he did, he did eight five, put up two pound over him. It was incidental, you know, horse ran appallingly anyway, but you know, that, that must've had its roots in, uh, that must have its roots in, he, he can't get there and, and, and sweat properly. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's a good related point. I mean, like I said, it's not, you know, you might, it, what King Coat said about, especially the older jockeys, they can't be running around these tracks two or three times trying to lose one or two pounds. Whether or not the sauna is the answer, you know, they are splitting the way around about this for sure, as, yeah. as King Coat evidence. But yeah, it's um, it's not a great look when you'll get on, on a big day like that and a punted horse and 
you're scrambling around trying to find how many pounds overweight he's uh, he's just about to carry. But he could have. Do we carried, still have? Like, do we still have a clue what actual weight these horses are carrying? No. Like, I, I lost track no. of that whole mess when they're when when it was being discussed. Like I'm fairly sure we still don't read. They still have all these kind of hidden allowances um that make no sense really just tell us what weight the horse is carrying lads and we're big boys we can we can figure out girls we can figure it out ourselves after that but these hidden allowances just seem so illogical to me i know it's a it's a a separate but related issue and shane says um or sean hill even if a horse doesn't consent to go down to the start with the rider on board should it be withdrawn no, 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 I saw that and I thought, you know, the thing is, is they're not machines, they're horses, they've all got their quirks, they've all got the different angles, when you work with them every day, like part of the mystery of our sport is trying to work, get into their minds and work out how best to get the best out of them, and part of that is getting them down to the start of a race, and if that means they have to be jig-jogged down, if that means they want to walk down, trot down, whatever, yeah. you, you should take it into consideration, where, you know, when planning the day, but that's, that's part of our sport. Sport, that's what you have to expect they can't all they don't all just walk out onto the track like machines and all canter down like machines and that's the quirks of horse racing that's part of the reason why we're in the game is to yeah. get around well, well, what, what i would say vanessa in fairness like I, I don't have an issue with if that's what they need to do that's what they need to do but i think you know a horse like that needs to go down early I think oh yeah any, i would agree with that any, i would agree with that yeah because i think anything and i would have the same view with, with horses that are problems at the stalls like anything that inconveniences the well-behaved majority, you know, shouldn't really be tolerated that much. You know, if, if, if you have an absolute yoke at the stalls that needs to go in last and takes ages to put in, while everyone, every other horse that is well-behaved and is doing the thing correctly has to stand there and be inconvenienced, like, I think that's wrong. Like, for me, I, I would put the tricky horses in first. And uh, if, you, if your horse isn't capable of standing in the stalls for two minutes, um, you know, I'm afraid that's your problem. Um, I don't think we should be inconveniencing the the, the well-behaved majority to suit no, I, you know a couple of rogues. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. But that's what I mean about planning your day around that. Yeah, you know, for that sure. If you yeah. know that that's what your horse needs, then that's you know it's got to leave the paddock early. It's got to go down to the yeah. start. Early. Hey Vanessa, any truth? I heard this from several people that you single-handedly tried to crash the Derby dinner there and you couldn't get in on it there during the week. Do you know Derby all male dinner? What, what's well, the I heard you were hosting. It's funny you joke about this, Hugh, because I'm about the most blokey woman in racing, right? Like, I went to an all-boys school. I'm as blokey as they come, and I wasn't invited to that fecking dinner. I can't believe it. I really hold my own with the males, okay? Like, and I I still didn't get invited. I mean, imagine. Imagine living in 2022 and there's still being all-boys dinners around the biggest race in the sport. Imagine that. It's just mad. Do we we still have all-male golf clubs now? We still do, don't we? You know what? Interestingly, on that point, Ilkley Golf Club, Ilkley Golf Club used to have an all-male, a male-only bar, and then a bar for the women, a separate bar for the women, and women weren't allowed in the male bar. This was about 15 years ago, though, now. And my mum told my dad he wasn't allowed to play golf there anymore until that got sorted out. And my dad said, right. sure, darling, absolutely, absolutely correct. He's teeing off on the first, couldn't give a flying fuck. But anyway. And there, so, and there's so some then, absolute comedy elements to that story, isn't there? I mean, I mean like, yeah. only last week that... So Maria Smith was, you know, being given, um, you know, license to come out about his blueprint for the future and stuff like that. And, and on a Sunday, you know, it just gets, it gets thrown under the bus with all this, uh, I, I didn't know, 
I didn't know it was going to be an all-male event. It's kind of like, <laughs> it reminded me of David Williams and, and Matt Lucas at the gates with a little kid saying, oh, I accidentally fell into my PA, male or female, when, when, I, when I was running I the street. And the absolute <laughs> classic here. Of course you bloody wouldn't know. When, yeah. You, know, you had the opportunity to go in there and think, Jesus, what's going on here? It's, and, and, and the racing post. Editor's note at the end. That's the classic. <laughs> they, they, that is they the best They were absolute. They were there, and they <laughs> so they knew the story on Wednesday. They held it until Sunday, probably probably doing somebody a favour. Oh no, we're going to throw you all under a bus on Wednesday on Sunday night, but we'll we'll give it four days scope. You'd be interested to know how how many how many racing post people were there. Obviously, breaking an exclusive story four days late. It's things I would things I would rather do than go to an all male derby dinner. Number one, take my eyeballs out with a fork. Number two, <laughs> like what? My name of Christ, you, are they on? Just imagine the sort of people at that dinner as well. Just imagine Jeez them in your mind Christ. for a moment and really think about them. And just honestly, the whole thing is just such a joke. Uh, but the, the real cherry on top of the joke cake that is the derby dinner was the Racing Post editor's note. Oh, it's just so good. So oh, good, Christ! Christ. Anyway, no, they're they're going to shit the bed. They're going to shit the bed when they go to some of these racing golf dudes, as Kev said. <laughs> wow! Shocking! Shocking! Do you um, know what? Two, I need to start learning how to play golf. On that note, that is uh, that's yeah. my mid-year resolution. Um, two more uh, questions on the the arc, and then one final one. So Shane and, and Stephen Holmes. Shane says, "Desert Crown, a realistic Arctic Triumph winner, will Graham be unsuitable?" Stephen Holmes, how is Tuesday double the price? of Emily Upjohn for the arc, seeing how she didn't have the best run and only turned three on Friday. Surely there's plenty more improvement to come. It does seem strange that she's double the price, given, I guess, that a lot of people would agree with uh, Vanessa and Kevin's view that Tuesday um, had the running of the race and, and even with Emily Upjohn's poor start, probably the best filly in the race. So that is interesting. Um, and last one to David, when defining the breed, should we be allowing horses to take a ticket? I don't know what that means. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So taking a ticket is when they, they basically will request... Um, from the stewards that the horse be loaded last um and Which you can do that with desert crown is it yeah and yeah. yeah or else you can you know there's kind of a whole system there for the stalls so if you take a ticket i think you have three strikes and if you take a ticket that counts as a strike and if yeah. you like misbehave behind the stalls they give you a strike and uh, when you hit three strikes you have to um have a stalls test conducted um, before and, and get recertified at the stalls before you're allowed to go again. So I think Desert Crown, that was his third strike as such. So they'll have to just conduct the stalls test with him at home or whatever before he's allowed to run again, which um, one hopes won't be, on, won't be a problem. And on that final note, sorry, just because it was as he entered the stalls, obviously it was well documented before the race how calm he was out of all of the runners. I think he was probably the most relaxed in the prelims. But I was amazed when I was watching back the replay and giving it a bit more focus on individual runners. And you watch that shot of him actually walking into the stalls, being the last to load. He is dripping with white sweat down from his saddlecloth down below his stomach. So like more so than the majority of others in the field, I just thought it was quite noteworthy. He obviously is quite a hot horse to get that upset, despite having been seemingly so relaxed. It, you know, it's just mm -hmm. another angle. And then they it took a the ticket fireworks, with him as well. The fireworks, yeah, right. yeah, let's be honest. Hashtag Brilliant. blame the fireworks. That's um, our Derby um, after show all wrapped up. Uh, Vanessa, I mentioned, is already in Dublin. TC's on his way tomorrow. We're recording our Royal Ascot oh, preview tomorrow. Right, 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 
Oh, hey, excellent. 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 The, cab, the cab driver just rung me. 10 minutes. Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, Royal Ascot oh. preview tomorrow, Tuesday, recording of the Beyond <laughs> Betfair social channels on Tuesday evening. Vanessa, to make up, don't say I don't do anything for you, right? Because I'm looking after you here. To make Maybe up yeah. for you missing, to make up for you missing the Derby dinner, I want you to go down to a place, right? To have dinner tonight to get the same atmosphere, same sense of the Derby dinner. Find out a place called the George and book yourself in for dinner okay George is Dublin's best known gay bar go in there book yourself dinner and you will get an exact nice. sense of what the Derby dinner was missed and like and you will I, I, be treated I, like an absolute queen Actually, thanks so I'll, much I'll make yeah. sure you get in because I'm on the door there tonight <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly so the George tonight on George's street Vanessa Ryan will be straight down to sample the delights and I guarantee you it'll be exactly like that Derby dinner no posh boys welcome to that dude no posh boys welcome we will see you both tomorrow can't wait for all Alaska preview safe travels TC Vanessa enjoy Dublin's hospitality Kev we'll see you tomorrow find yourselves <laughs> next <laughs>